Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It feels kind of quite false, sterile, and I don't know, there's not a lot to kind of cling to to make you think, this is the positive of it happening here, you know, and I'm sure Richard Keyes or whoever else uh, working over there in the media may disagree, but I don't really see there's much of an upswing for anyone. Hello everybody and welcome to The View From The Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined by The Athletic's Tim Spears and James Moore. Later on in the podcast, we'll be discussing another injury uh, for a Spurs player going towards the World Cup. In this case, actually, uh, Giovanni Lo Celso. I'm talking about, um, you know, well, how much you're going to be looking forward to the World Cup, even though there will be plenty of Spurs players on show. I'll pay a little tribute to the late great British actor Leslie Phillips, who was a proper Spurs fan. Um, I've caught up with Seb Stafford Bloor of TIFO Football Podcast fame, a lifelong Spurs fan, ahead of the release of a new book just in time for Christmas. But of course, we'll be starting with last night's League Cup exit. So first, in the interest of uh, polite, say hi, Tim. Hi, Danny. Now you've seen the game, and hi, James. Hi, Danny. Yeah, now you, um, thanks to the illusion that capitalism presents that there is uh, a choice. Um, if you want to get, you know, flavours of ice creams, you can get hundreds. If you want to watch your favourite football team, no matter how many subscriptions you have, you cannot guarantee seeing it legally. So you did the honourable thing and just said, right, I'm not going to watch it at all. Yeah, um, I, I don't believe in I don't believe in illegal streaming. I think it's bad, I, mainly just because I just don't like the lag and the little chat room and all the nonsense. And being behind Twitter, I find all of that annoying. So I just don't bother. Um, but yeah, it is quite annoying, you know. Pay for a season ticket to Tottenham. That's about a grand. Yeah. I, I obviously always support Kingstonian as well, so I'm pumping money in at, at the other Grass end roots, of the Grass uh, roots. other end of the game. Miss me in Premier League, pumping money in there too. Quite right. Um, pay for my Sky subscription and my BT subscription. Mm-hmm. So that's you know like over 100 quid a month, I think, altogether. I've got Amazon Prime. Uh, I've, I've got, got what? What's the, what's the one that that Spurs? Oh, this isn't a joke. The one that the Spurs Conference League qualifier was on. I can't think of what it's called. Premier Sport. Yeah, still, still can't cancel it. They're still taking like seven pound a month for the last like two years or whatever it is. They're still taking money out, so I'm paying for that as well. I mean, we are extraordinarily lucky that the Athletic is so fantastically well paying um, that we can afford to, to let these things go. You, so I'm going to enjoy explaining the game to you if I can, James. And it's about the game we're going to talk because uh, anyone who's watched the reaction to the game in the past uh, 12 hours will know that we're now into the blame game. The players getting blamed, the management getting blamed. Um, the owners are getting blamed. Um, and it's the kind of squabbling that, I, I'm going to be honest here, that Arsenal fans were getting into 18 months ago. Uh, people were expecting me to be really angry. I'm not going to get angry about something I can't control. Also, the issues are complicated. So aiming your anger at one thing, I think, is probably not right. But what you can't do, as I've said over and over again on this podcast, ignore the evidence of your own eyes. Now, I'm just a Spurs fan. I happen to have a big microphone and a platform. But I've got no agenda. I just a desire to see the team play well and the club to do well. But last night, 
I'm telling you this now, James. There was no system. There was no spirit. There was no creativity. There was no guts. There was no dynamism. And in the end, there was a defeat that was no surprise. That was last night, gentlemen. Bollocks, wasn't it? You've seen it, Tim. Bollocks, wasn't it? It was horrible. Weak, miserable, disjointed performance that completely lacked energy, enthusiasm. Well, until the last 20 minutes uh, when Jed Spence and a couple of others came on. Just horrible. My, my, but my jaw, my jaw hit the floor, Danny, when I, when I saw that team news. I could not believe. First thing to talk could about, not correct. believe how strong he went. Especially like Kane, Dyer, and Hoiberg in, in particular. I was absolutely stunned. I could sort of get it with the guys who aren't going to the World Cup. Maybe you could make a case for Sessegnon, Doherty, Longley. Oh, what, what difference does that make to him? Because that, that's not um, Spurs' issue who's going to the World Cup, is it? No, exactly, exactly. But I guess, I guess you know the, the discussion that we've been having for a while in terms of players' minds being elsewhere and maybe not giving a hundred percent. You know, that's a difficult one to detect, but certainly Conte can detect it better than we can. But fine, if they're able to play on Wednesday night and go again on Saturday against what's going to be a very energetic Leeds team, then that's okay. If they don't, if they win the game, if they don't pick up any injuries, but they then proceed to lose the game. Sessegnon looked like he picked up an injury to me, so they so they probably one man down for the weekend, and they were just apps. I, I try and look for the positives, and we yes. did look we did look for the positives in defeat against Liverpool because there were there were many I thought, um, but there are absolutely none that I could think of other than the fact that if you don't want them to be in the League Cup, they're now out of the League Cup and they don't have to play again in that this season. But other than that, it was just utterly utterly miserable. The only positive I got, and I don't think my wife agrees with me, is I managed to get. Um, to see the game by using our toaster. Um, there's this complicated piece of wire you can do with these advanced toasters, and I managed to see the game reflect on the side of the toaster. Um, James, do you, did your boycott of the of the game, um, or not having enough money to see it, or whatever, you haven't got the right toaster? Um, did you did you notice the starting lineup? Did you at least go online and see that? Yeah, and then I, and then I watched the last episode of the first season of Succession, actually, and it's ah. probably a more like mm, sort of joyous. Nice. Uh, way to spend I think it was about 70 minutes but it was most of the game definitely more entertaining more dramatic yeah 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 more drama it felt like there was a bit more frost better delivery um, etc yeah, yeah 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 um I did see the team I was very surprised by that yes yeah. there was it was it was less a starting lineup than the starting lineup wasn't it yeah I mean see I, what I, I did I, I mean I I, I I mean yeah very good <laughs> um I I think I think Tim is right it's not I mean, maybe it shouldn't be as big a surprise to see the players who aren't going to the World Cup involved. Um, but I think there were four in the starting lineup who are going to the World Cup or should be going to the World Cup. Uh, yeah, and it is a bit of a surprise, obviously, with my England hat on, which I haven't quite got on yet, but I reckon in about a week I'll have on. Kane playing seemed mad. Uh, this is going to be the first question I'm going to ask that's going to highlight the fact yeah. I genuinely haven't seen Brilliant. any of the games. This is how this did, podcast is going. Did, did Richarlison come on in the end? He did, and he, he ran did. around and looked very fit. He had the ball in the net, but he was okay. a yard offside, but he got the ball in the net with his head, and he looked perfectly fine. Kulusevski came on as well. Um, I don't Spence. think he looked quite, quite as good as he did against Liverpool. Um, uh, and look, well, Jed Spence is a separate issue we'll get on to um, because the worst thing that could have happened, apart from the defeat, the bad performance, and perhaps an injury to Sessignon, is that he brings on a kid who he's obviously got no time for, who is then the outstanding outfield player. In the, not just in that 20 minutes, in the game for Spurs. Forster played well in goal. Um, he's a big old lump and he got in the way of plenty of shots. Can, can, well, can, can I just ask a question? Talking of things yeah. that we haven't seen yes. and asking questions about it, what happens, because I haven't seen this, if Harry Kane cannot start for Spurs? 
it's uh, it's it's no different to what I assume. You, I would assume no different to what you saw last night. That's pretty much it, isn't it, Danny? Somebody will be lined up as a false nine, i.e., another midfield player, um, and we will attempt, I suspect, to get the ball wide. Um, to people who are not very good at crossing it, but, but in, uh, term, in terms of personnel as well, because literally yeah. he started every single game that I've covered. So who say if, if Richarlison couldn't start last night, uh, Kulusevski couldn't start last night. It seemed like it was no option. I mean, Harry Kane couldn't complete his training session on Tuesday, as Antonio Conte admitted last night. That's how knackered he is. Yeah, and yet he still started him. So is there literally? There's no. There's no. There's you know, I know they sent a couple well, of kids the two, out alone, the, but there's the, literally the, nobody else. Well, the two reserve centre forwards, other than the ones that are, you know, there are Charlotte's this board, they were out on loan, both Scarlett and Troy Parrott, um, which actually, by the way, is the name of a brilliant actress, isn't it? Scarlett Parrott. Um, but they're, they're, they're away on loan. Um, I don't know whether they, he would play them anyway. He just doesn't seem to have a great deal of trust in anybody else. Listen, while we're, while we're on this subject, and a Kane, um, he has played more minutes in all competitions than any other Spurs player. Uh, 1,785 before he was substituted, after just off the hour mark, wasn't it? Um, therefore, the Athletic last night was um, a data analyst and writer, Mark Carey, who noticed Kane's condition. And this is his uh, little report from the city ground. Hello, Mark Carey here reporting for the Athletic on the Spurs game, which was quite honestly a disappointing game for Antonio Conte and his, his side I thought that I mean Conte was damned if he did damned if he didn't I think in terms of bringing the changes to the, the starting lineup I think it was four changes from the weekend and I think that, to be honest it, it sort of showed with how how tired they were as a as a side I thought playing Harry Kane from the start was perhaps a, a bit of a mistake he, he looked very very leggy I think only one touch in the box um, across his time on the field and I think he be disappointed with his own performance but probably wanted to keep quiet obviously ahead of the the world cup came came off after the hour um but i thought that spurs just kind of lacked any creativity from from back to front really i, I mean it was quite obvious that they they don't have the the forward line that they'd like with, with the likes of son and kulisevsky unable to play obviously kulisevsky came on but just in terms of working from from defense through midfield into the attack there was there was no real working through the lines and it was sort of then therefore on Kane to to have to create something which I know that he, he typically does drop in and and does well from a creativity point but he's got runners ahead of him typically and he just didn't have that at all today it was sort of forced to you know the midfield was forced to, to be the ones to, to make the runs into the the, the box and it, it just didn't work really at all and then two goals behind for the the fourth game in a row, I think that is now, which is starting to to form a pattern. Which you, you got to think about just how how much that needs to to change, really. But um, yeah, ultimately they uh, they just look too fatigued, um, and that was I think their their downfall. Forest just having to just sit back, play on the the break for for a good half an hour, and Spurs didn't have any answer to that in the end. So a disappointing night for for Tottenham Hotspur and. Now one game left before uh, before the World Cup. It's impossible to say that there was anything inaccurate about what he said there. Um, Kane did his best, but in a system that, that appeared to be a non-system, he wasn't even finding people with the ball himself. That's it. And, and Sessegnon had had a poor game. He's he's the one that you'd expect to be able to do that. Perisic, you know, was more of a floater. He hasn't got the he hasn't got the pace to get in behind. Neither Doherty really on the right. 
So who, I mean, there's literally no one else in the team other than Sessegnon to be making those quick overlaps. And um, Kane was coming deep and trying to find passes to nobody. I didn't understand what the plan was to score last night, really. And I know we've said that a few times recently, but um, it, it was more obvious than ever against the Nottingham Forest team that made nine changes, I think it was. I just couldn't believe it because of what happened in the previous week because you, the Bournemouth, Marseille and Liverpool games were extremely taxing Yeah, um, all the way to the 95th minute of, of every single match. And there's going to be another big game against, like I said, a very energetic Leeds team coming up on Saturday. It's not like it's Tuesday to Saturday. I just do not understand, unless he's desperate to win this competition, why he plays a strong. And then and he had the nerve post-match to talk about energy and fatigue. And, oh yeah, Forrest was so much more energetic than us. That was the problem. Well, pick picked different players then went and played Brian Hill and and Jed Spence absolutely desperate to play like these games are horrible so, these 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 like these these league cup third round games are horrible because you you get 11 changes and it's and it's about it's about the ones who've got individuals who are desperate to make an impression and have and have a decent night and I think Hill and Spence certainly from what we saw him of him in the last 20 minutes would have done that I, but I just I don't understand why he he didn't give them a chance I really don't and, and I'm even more confused after what he said after the match to be honest I mean, that's why I think he took the press conference um, rather than Stellini because he knew there were going to be some pretty awkward questions answered. And, you know, he's very good at facing down questions, never mind criticism. Um, we all know he's got a fantastic track record. He's a great manager, all of that. And he is entitled to, to do, you know, what he wants to do to try and win games. Um, and, you know, if he had won, then we'd say, oh, that was tricky putting out the first team, but they got away with it and they won the game and, Maybe, you know, game managed the last 15 minutes or something, but they didn't. So these questions are going to come. Listen, I want to get on Jed Spence in a second, but let me just say, is it indicative? And, you know, part of what I'm going to say now, people are going to say is heresy, but I'm going to say it. Is it indicative of some of the problems at Spurs? And they are multiple. You can see it. Performances like that don't come out of nowhere. You might get one out of nowhere. I mean, and I, I hesitate to say this, you know, we talk about, I mean, it was probably you, Tim. Spurs in the last eight games, how many goals have they scored in the first half? Zero. None. Tim, Tim, just a little tip. When you're doing a podcast, you can't hold your hand, <laughs> you can't hold your hand up and do a little zero yeah. sign. Yeah, I know, I know. He, I should have no, but said. But we all know the answer, don't we? And yeah, the, uh, what's the other one? They've gone 2-0 down in five domestic matches in a row now. I mean, it's just... That's I mean, mad. Those are, those are stats that would damn a team. They would damn, damn that Derby team uh, 15 years ago. But that's what we're dealing with. And But the no goals in the first half in a squad that includes the most regular goal scoring in England over the last decade, the golden boot winner of last year, Dejan Kulisewski, a £60 million backup forward. I mean, need I go on? Something is clearly amiss. Um, but let me, let me ask you an indicator of that, of some of the things that are amiss, because we can't go through them once. I say it's too complicated, is the fact that I honestly believe that the fullbacks who started last night, Lodi, and Serge Aurier are better than the Spurs fullbacks who started last night in Matt Doherty and Sessegnon. Uh, that's interesting because yesterday I was trying to rank all of the Spurs right back. I know we kind of talked about yeah. this a bit on the last episode. Because I'm next to, I'm I'm next to... taxi off to get off the rank, aren't I? We... Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. I, I was ranking the fullbacks since Walker in my mind purely because I wanted to prove a point that Trippier would be worse, which I do genuinely believe. Not everyone does. Uh, Royale saw it would be worse, actually. Aurier is probably the best. And, and I, I would have been 
uh, and long-term listeners to this podcast will definitely remember quite damning of Aurier, but he's definitely better than Royale or Doherty, or certainly what we've seen Sir, off Doherty got, on average. Sir's got plenty of grief, but he's a very, very physically engaged footballer. He, he was in a team where he was under often exposed and gave away penalties. I get that. It, he wasn't great, but he was he was better than what we're seeing now. Where did you put, I think where if, did you put if, Kyle Walker-Peters? Oh, that's a good point. He wasn't in my list. I never really thought... I, I can't really think of him having many good games for Spurs. He seemed to come into the team and end up being quite... Didn't he play in that cup game they lost against Middlesbrough? Was that like one of his last games? Uh, that, could be, that could be completely wrong. Tim, I know you're a massive fan of Matt Doherty, and I know he hasn't had proper chances, uh, but this is one of those games where you pointed out, for experienced players as well as young players, you have to come into the game and take it by the scruff of the neck because it's your opportunity um, and Matt was as bad as everybody else last night, wasn't he? Yeah, no, I'm 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 a fan of Matt Doherty as a person, and he's, yeah. and he's had a fantastic career and of what he did at Wolves. But I've not seen I've not seen the Matt Doherty of um, two years ago. You know, since I started covering Spurs at all. And I know you're right; he didn't take the game by the scruff of the neck last night. And Jed Spence kind of showed. I know he's got very different qualities, but he showed him how it's done. You know, when he came on the field for the last twenty. But the the, the problem, obviously, with the biggest problem at the moment, you know, we're going about the lack of goals and the lack of goal scorers and the lack of creativity. But the biggest problem at the moment is, is defensive solidity, which which just doesn't exist. Hence why they're going 2 0 down every single match. It's kind of summed up by this shambolic last five minutes of stoppage time. I don't know if you're still tuning in, Danny. Oh, I, when, no, I um, always watch to the very end. Don't leave the ground. You never know what's coming. The connection to the toaster was still, oh, uh, was still there. I, I, yeah. I put off my toast supper for five minutes to watch every last, <laughs> every last snack of it, no pun intended. But it wasn't like they were they were battering the door down and Forrest managed to keep the ball in the corner for the majority of five minutes of stoppage time. Um, I think it was somebody gave a foul away and then Eric Dyer just threw the ball at Brennan Johnson and got booked. Then they couldn't stay 10 yards away from the ball. It was so pathetic. Forrest couldn't take their free kick. Then then they, Hill was trying to give the get the ball back and they just kept giving fouls away. It was just absolutely shambolic. They couldn't even get the ball back for the last five minutes. Yeah, the last five minutes in that corner, Tottenham's right-hand corner, Forrest attacking left-hand corner, um, was indicative of, of, a, of a team that was starting to lose its mind, was starting to unravel, and there was nobody on the pitch because Kane was gone off, Hoiberg was gone. Nobody to walk over to the players who were messing around over there, including Brian Hill, and just say, "Get twelve yards from the ball, let them get it into the corner. They're going to do it, and we'll try and get the the, the, the court, uh, you know, a goal kick or a, a throw in, or let them." bang it into the box and we'll, we'll try and clear it. Because what they did there was allowed Forrest to keep the ball for four minutes in that corner of the pitch. But nobody had their chutzpah, of course the captain wasn't playing either, to walk over to them and say, get away from it, you clowns. Can I can I ask a question? Not only for me, but it has dawned on me that there are probably quite a few people who didn't see it last night given the, the kind of broadcast situation. Can you run me through the two Forest goals, please? I'll do the first. You can do the second. This is, by the way, for the listeners, I genuinely haven't seen this, so you're genuinely telling me for the first time. Yeah, the first goal, um, Forrest got the ball down Spurs' left. Matt Doherty was a forward of the ball, so it became a situation where uh, Renan Lodi, who, don't forget, was a regular at Atletico Madrid. This is what Nottingham Forest have at their disposal. He only moved in the hope of getting into the Brazilian World Cup squad because he, he, they were starting to play Carrasco as a kind of wing-back uh, in Madrid. He got the ball, and it, and it, he then on the edge of the, on the left hand corner of the box, um, that from their point of view, our right hand corner, he found himself one on one with a squared up Davinson Sanchez, with Eric Dyer, perhaps four yards behind and three yards to the left of his colleague, uh, uh, as uh, Sanchez would have seen it. 
Guess what happened next? Lodi did a slight drop of the shoulder, moved the ball from one foot to the other, leaving Davinson, bless him, and I've tried to stick up for him, staring at the space where the player was, while the player now had the Spurs goal pretty much at his mercy. Now, it still took a bit of skill to do that inside of the foot shot that takes the ball around a, a big old lump like like, uh, like the Spurs goal with Forster. Um, but you've seen this goal time and again with Spurs. Um, it makes it makes Renan Lodi look like Thierry Henry. Describe the second, Tim. Sessignon uh, gives it away. They run upfield and cross it and score. That's a terrible touch. Sorry, you could have edited from... that down for me there, James. <laughs> it's a terrible touch from Sessignon and they break, but it's not a break where Spurs are completely stretched and, and, and they're all over the place at the back. There was actually a line of four defenders just uh, along the six-yard box, so that they're set to deal with it. The ball comes to the back stick. Sanchez doesn't follow the ball, but then doesn't block the header coming back across either. So just stand, literally just stands there and watches the header come back in. And then six foot five inch uh, Jesse Lingard is not challenged whatsoever and can stick a header into the into the corner. Um, it was truly pathetic, to be honest. Um, did you know, James? I'm I'm, lov- I'm loving treating you as the listeners who haven't seen the game. Did you know that Spurs played the last half an hour against ten men? It wasn't half an hour, was it? It was less than that, I thought. Twenty minutes. Yeah, more like 20 minutes from from my uh, app notifications. Well, there were five minutes of added on time, so let's call it 25 oh, okay. minutes and okay. split between yeah. friends. It made absolutely no difference to the game, Tim, I thought. No, 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 no not whatsoever. It's a very deserved red card as well. Spurs had a rare opportunity for a counter-attack, and it was like a, a scissor tackle, second book in. And um, on, honestly, honestly didn't notice uh, a difference whatsoever. Just damning, and that, that was more. That was a you know, against 10 men, it was a, an indictment of Spurs' energy levels throughout the game. Although they picked up slightly, and um, when the subs came on, Richarlison was doing his best to prove his fitness. Um, and uh, Brian Hill, what before he descended into kind of playground antics in the corner of the pitch, was at least trying to, to run around. The positive here's a positive for you, James, and I don't know whether Antonio Conte will think it was a positive. So he brings on Jed Spence to massive applause from all four sides of the ground because, of course, he'd been so influential in Forest promotion last year and Spurs fans just think, well, he can't be any worse than the others. Um, he comes on and from a standing start, I believe I was doing – if I was doing, sending you the match, you know, the markings for a player, I'd have given Forster man of the match for Spurs. The next best player over the 90 minutes was Jed Spence. He got now. Bear in mind, he's against a Forest team that are kind of trying to manage the game. The way his colleagues were playing, it wasn't hard to look outstanding. But in the space of the time he was on, he made one what would be described as a lung-bursting run from one end of the pitch to the other, not dribbling, but just running past three or four of the Nottingham Forest players that really would have caused chaos if Spurs had been responding to him. Um, and he had a header, um, which required him to get again a huge run to get into the box. Um, and on another day, that header would have gone in and brought the goal back for Spurs. The truth is, he looked like all the things that people who've only seen him in clips from Nottingham Forest's games in the Championship last season, he looked exactly like Spurs fans have been fantasising that he might be like. James has probably worked out by now that it was that on the whole, it was quite a lath- well, very lethargic performance with... Not many ideas, no one trying anything risky, no one doing anything different. Um, and Spence was sort of the antidote to that, really. 
great energy, great enthusiasm, direct running with the ball. He demanded the ball as well. He, you know, he, he wanted to be involved in everything. He came in. He came inside a lot. I noticed. He, I, I, I'd, I'd, if I had a criticism, I'd, I'd slightly preferred him to be hugging the touchline a little bit more with Kulisevsky coming inside. But instead, perhaps to instruction, he was he was sort of in the half space while Kulisevsky was on the flank. But anyway, um, I thought he was great. Certainly showed that he has lots to offer and that he should have got far more minutes than he has this season. I mean, he's, he's come on three times in the 89th minute so far and that, that just looks that just mm-hmm. looks really silly now when you see what he <clears throat> what he did last night, particularly when Spurs have been like chasing matches, which has been a lot recently. Um, and you have, you, you're right, Dan, you did, didn't have much to do defensively, but we've seen for about two months running now that Spurs have been chasing games late on. Well, he, he can offer something. Can, can we do a sweepstake for Saturday? Because we all know, I think, he he won't start the game against Leeds, but I I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that Spurs might not start that game brilliantly, and they might need to change things up. And he might be a player that uh, there's a clamour for, certainly from the terraces. So, should we kind of try and predict what minute he comes on on Saturday? Okay, that's a very 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 good game to play. Do you want to start yourself then, James? You've thrown the question out there. Uh, I mean, Tim has mentioned the 89th minute there as being the usual time I'll say a little bit earlier than that I'm going to say 84 minutes what do you think Tim uh, I'll think 81st well given that uh, Emerson Royal is likely to start I mean that uh, Matt Doherty is likely to be on the bench I have no confidence whatsoever on seeing Jed Spence so I'll go with I'll go with no minutes okay you're not playing the game you're not playing oh. the game oh, I thought, uh, he's, he, uh, no he's playing it he's, just, he's probably playing it correctly let's be honest I'll say one more thing. Sorry, but I shouldn't get two choices. Ryan Sessignon was terrible on the night, but um, when Spurs had played, put on all their subs, he got a, he got an injury and he played on. Credit at least for that to the lad. You know that took a bit of courage. So I'm, 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 is that good? Is that good? What have he, he like, thought? Injured himself uh, more this, this was this was another part of the farce last night. He actually felt his hamstring. I know. And then the screen, <laughs> the screen cut, the screen cut to the to the fourth official putting the number up for Matt Doherty. And Sessignon assumed it, it was him, and he started to walk off, I believe, because um, Jed Spence was coming on. But but no, they hadn't spotted the fact that he was holding his hamstring, so so he had to play on, as as Danny says, you know, manfully. For the look, last look it, no, it's not necessarily a good thing in a lost cause, uh, James. But at least it showed a little bit of chutzpah. Um, and if someone comes around and says we didn't show much intelligence, I'd accept that too. Listen, um, in the middle of all that um, disaster, another piece of bad news for Spurs fans. Um, many of you won't remember, uh, of course, his heyday as a great actor, but Leslie Phillips has died. Um, in the 50s and 60s, he was, he was just the absolute paradigm of a kind of bounder, um, always around the ladies, suave and smooth. Um, he played upper class uh, sed- seducers, um, was basically what he played, and he was hugely popular. He was a great comedy actor, um, but he wasn't a toff, despite his, the way his acting career went. He was born to working class parents in Tottenham and was a massive Spurs fan. At one time, I interviewed him about this. Um, he was already starting to fade physically because he lived into, late into his 90s, um, but he was absolutely besotted with Spurs and when I said to him as a youngster you saw the push and run team win the title you know 70 years ago um, and you saw the double team in, in the right in your prime um, in both cases he said he, he said to me that's great but I always go and support the current team that's what I want to see do well and I thought that was wonderful um, and so we'll take a break now and when we come back 
Um, we'll talk about uh, um, another Spurs fan, Seb Stafford Pleur's uh, new book. We'll talk about how much we're all looking forward to watching Spurs players play in the World Cup in Qatar, and we'll preview what might happen against Leeds. But we'll go to the break now with just 20 seconds of quintessential Leslie Phillips. Rest well, Spurs fan. Who's that? Miss Alcock. Miss Alcock. Ding dong. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, here's something a little bit different for you. Um, you'll have heard of many of you the, T- the TIFO football podcast. It's very, very good indeed. A regular on that, and a Spurs fan, is Seb Stafford Bloor. And now, he's part of a team that's written a new book. It's called How to Watch Football, 52 Rules for Understanding the Beautiful Game on and Off the Pitch. It's out on the 17th of November, I presume to coincide with the World Cups in hardback and Kindle. And I have to say, um, early viewing, it says, it's, of course, it's really good if you're a mad football fan. But if you're even a casual football fan or no one, it's perfect for them as well, because it's all written in a way to, to attract the wider audience. I'm delighted to say that Seb uh, joins us now. Uh, hi, Seb. Hi, Danny. Thanks for having me. Really, really good. Listen, we've got a lot to get through uh, today on the show, but so let's let's get straight into, into the book. Um, the, all of the chapters could be relate back to Tottenham Hotspur, which is what this podcast <laughs> is about. I thought the, the, the business about defining roles and determining those and, it, and how they affect formations was really good. But it's probably for a while, for a, a longer podcast than this. Um, one of the ones that really caught my eye was about corners, because as a Spurs fan, I have learned over the years um, to cover my eyes and hope for the best whenever Spurs put the ball down. That what gets called a quadrant, doesn't it? Um, or hanging over the quadrant, as, as the modern players do. Yeah. So I think with the corners chapter, it was about uh, it's about describing something which most fans already know that the chances of scoring from a corner are very very low. I think. Um, between 2010 and 2020, the percentage of of corners which resulted in a, a in a in a goal was somewhere around three percent, and of course every fan in the world thinks that their side is the worst team in the whole history of the game at corners, and that every time you know you get one, you hit the first man. I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. But I was as soon as the season began, obviously some of the 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 coverage of Vio coming in and um, with his million set piece routines, I've actually found myself enjoying Tottenham taking corners or at least being mildly interested I don't know if that's a relative situation which refers to uh the standard of the play elsewhere and you know some of the the conversations we've been having throughout the entire season but well, it's it, interesting it, 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 it? it looks like our best chance of scoring currently which is saying yeah. something given the historically as you say um, Spurs have blatted the ball into the first opposition yeah. player on the on the near post what what what, what is what is it with corners because is it that what we all imagine, since we're talking about the way fans perceive them, we all imagine that if you accurately and quickly swing the ball in to a spot somewhere between the penalty area and the middle of the six-yard box, that's a very difficult place to defend. It's crowded, and yet equally, I suppose, um, the coach would say, but it's also a really, really uh, easy place to defend because you only have to get the ball 
as I always say, that the, the attacking players have to get the ball into a small space. The defenders have to get it anywhere. Um, so the coaches, I guess, are always trying to break down the predictability of that corner. But it's so rare now, it's, it's almost predictable again. Why are, why are corners such a, a cause of hope and despair? Well, I think despair because they're difficult. Like fundamentally, it's a flat ball from um, basically the touchline. And the margin for error is so slender because like too shallow, first man picks it off. Um, too high, too loopy, goalkeeper has a massive advantage, at least most do, like most early dominant goalkeepers do. So an awful lot of things have to go right for a, not just for a corner to result in a goal, but for a corner to result in any kind of chance or a shot on goal or, a, you know, a, a, an opportunity. But then I suppose hope because, uh, and this might be a British thing actually, like, you know, go back to sort of, you know, 89th minute, you're chasing a goal, equaliser maybe, and your instinct as a fan is like, chuck it in the box. Chuck in the box because I think as Spurs fans also we know what it is to be on the other end of that. Like you see, you see a long ball arrowed into the box in the ninety third minute, and you're already picturing it in the back of the net. So um, I think it's kind of this uh, this weird conflict between uh, what we know to be true and what we've experienced in the past. So it was it was a very very fun chapter to write, but it's um, I think it's it's one that will touch Tottenham fans, but most supporters, I guess. I mean, I, I, I have a, a way of, I think, improving the game. Now, really, mostly what I say said would make the game worse. Um, if they really wanted to, they could say that you can take the corner. If you, get, if you can see the corner, you can take it anywhere um, within 10 yards of, of mm-hmm. the corner flag so that people could pull it back 10 yards down the touchline. And because when, when a free kick is given, they're like, oh, this is a free kick in a very dangerous yeah. position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas with a corner, people are going, oh, I'll, 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 I'll just go and get a cup of tea. And let me know when we've cleared this corner. You know, it's um, there's it, something that needs to be done about it. I'm not sure what it is. Tell us about the about Spurs this season because they've been re- notably successful, um, particularly offensively with, with corners. Yeah, I think the key to it, and I, I'm still working this out, and I, I, I think you know it's probably a question for the end of the season. But I think this, what's really interesting is the movement and how certain players are being used to draw defenders into certain situations. Like you, you know, you've seen. I think particularly of that Chelsea goal, um, the equaliser at Stamford Bridge, where like I think four or five players went to the near post, but also at the same time were kind of screening defenders and in doing so creating isolation so that you've got like a, a Kane against a Cucurella or someone like that. Um, well, you end and up, it must we be... end up with Harry Kane, of all people, unmarked, yeah, it, but essentially. This yeah. is... Exactly. And, and, and from a defensive point of view, you'd think if you were, if you were watching that in a film room as a Chelsea player the day after... It's criminal because you're thinking, you, who's the one player that you would say, right, if there's going to be an equaliser here, he's not scoring it. I and so a, the it one player... It's a fascinating goal because what they did from a corner was they created the now desperately required overload. But for, but in a, in, a, in a tiny space, in the six-yard box, they create an overload. Um, and that has to be down to coaching, I think, because it just happens so rarely. Absolutely. And also, I think the screens are very interesting. Like, it's one of those things that's crept in from basketball is um, how you prevent defenders, particularly like most marking systems are kind of a hybrid between zonal and man marking. I think we know that. But like how you prevent defenders from doing their job is quite an interesting kind of um, pseudoscience within set piece design, I guess. It must be fascinating. I'm not nearly smart enough to explain it properly, but it is a um, like in terms of the little conflicts and the movements and the sort of the I suppose the game theory involved in it. It's a it's a super interesting part of the game, and actually, like it, it feels funny that in some quarters you you, you hear Spurs 
almost criticized for it. Like, oh, you know, you've scored goals from set pieces and, you know, the percentage X is, you know, reflective of the fact that you can't create chances from open play. It's like, well, it's a legitimate part of the game. And I think most of us would argue that it's been one that Spurs have neglected for far too long. And so it's actually really nice to see, you know, right? Yes. Something might happen. It something would, might actually happen, Danny. It would have been here. a lo- lovely addition to our free-flowing football if the free-flowing yes. football existed. One last question about this. In reverse, <laughs> yeah. um, I often think um, watching when Spurs are defending corners, um, I don't know the stats here, but again, I'm using the evidence of my own eyes and brain. The number of times that Harry Kane uh, clears corners and free kicks if I was an opposition coach I would put our best head of the ball in front of Harry Kane because he obviously his positional sense defensively is very very good um and he's you know he's a decent head of the ball and he gets it away again and again and again what I mean I'm you know watch it if I was a, if I was one of their coaches I would put my tallest player in front of Kane take that out of Spurs' defending um opportunities and I think you'd get some results from it what other chapters in the book did you have the most fun writing Oh, quite a few. I mean, there's there's ones that contradict kind of um, uh, well-held myths around the game. So things like uh, whether clubs can actually recoup transfer fees through shirt sales, that kind of stuff. Like stuff that I, I think that most football fans understand now, but which um, you know people who are on the periphery of the game or who perhaps sort of casual fans don't necessarily understand. Um, one of the themes I particularly like running through it is we've... Um, we've could have created a cast of major influences in the game. So obviously people like Johan Cruyff, I mean, stylistic influences. Um, but we've also included, um, not necessarily such a, a popular one on this podcast, but uh, Herbert Chapman um, in there is a very, very important figure in the game, unfortunately for Spurs. Um, but, 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 but was a Spurs man. So um, we, we got that. This is it. Like, yeah. you know, even though I, I think one of the interesting things with someone like Chapman is that he's associated with success at Arsenal, of course, mm-hmm. but like there's this whole range of things um, innovations, I suppose you'd call them, um, you know, uh, the ways of thinking about the game, which were new at the time. He was a pioneer. And, and, and even now, almost, uh, you know, we'll come up to almost 100 years 100 after years, he died. Yeah. 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 Um, much of it is unchanged. And I, I think it's a fascinating thing. And, and so we've tried to do, it's a difficult process, but we've tried to mix that deep dive stuff, the sort of the, um, the kind of information and detail which interests people like me, um, who you know aren't particularly cool let's be honest <laughs> you look with very things, cool but thank you very Danny yeah. you're a kind man you're yeah. a kind man yeah. um with things that um which are not necessarily entry level but interesting detail for you know um fair weather new fans so you know why does why does a football pitch have a d uh why are there 11 players on a team why um you know what is what is sports washing what is um you know, when, when people talk about football clubs as a business, what do they really mean by that? I, and I, I think we've, um, well, we've, um, through the direction of Penguin, who've been wonderful through the editing process, I, I hope we've done that. And I hope we've, we've put something for everybody in there. Um, and we're, we're very proud of it. And by the way, Danny, I have to say, um, uh, I, I was involved in the writing of it, but um, the real art of the book is is the design, um, which is by our, our very own Alice Divine. Um, and it looks beautiful. It smells great as a book too. Okay. I, well, I got my first copy a couple of days ago, and it, it smells wonderful. Oh, I don't know if that's a pride thing, but no, was... no, no, it, it is. Um, the, the smell of something you've written is always very, very yeah. good indeed. Listen, <laughs> Seb, I want to thank you for coming on and joining us here on the View from the Lane. Thank you very much for having me. Of course, and let me just reiterate once again uh, that's uh, Seb Stafford Bloor. You know his work from the TFO podcast. Um, the new book is called How to Watch Football: Fifty-Two Rules for Understanding a Beautiful Game. On and off the pitch. 17th of November, you can get it in Kindle and hardback. And as I say, 
Um, you, if you're a hardcore football uh, observer like myself, uh, it's still full of really, really interesting things, but it's also written for the general public. And again, thanks and good luck, Seb, with the book. As I said there, Seb's book is out in time for the coincides with the World Cup, which takes us to uh, the great tournament. I should tell you the very disappointing news that we'll be uh, the, this podcast will be off air as the Titanic um, crew at the Athletic reshuffle the seats to get people working on the World Cup itself. Um, latest news is that a player that Spurs still own and were probably hoping would have a brilliant World Cup um, to get his value up is Giovanni Lo Celso. He's out. He's having an operation on a hamstring, as I as I understand it, um, which takes me to because all Spurs fans w- will want to know how we're going to get through this. Um, Eleven years ago, I was on air when the World Cups were awarded to Russia and Qatar, and I remember being quite close to apoplectic because I was doing the show, you know, about the the, the 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 awarding of the World Cups, and I said I remember saying there will never be a football kicked in Qatar in the World Cup. That's just not going to happen. It's not a correct place to play it. It's not a football country. Their government and their culture is entirely inappropriate what's supposed to be a global competition. Well, I have to admit I was completely wrong. Um, We know from the people who have gone to jail and have been taken out of FIFA, they paid for the World Cup. Um, and we know their human rights record is, by the standards that we might consider acceptable, well, well short. But there is going to be a World Cup in Qatar. Um, I'm kind of glad that um, I'm going on uh, what is a late honeymoon. So no, nobody could say, but Dan, here's a million pounds to go to Qatar. I haven't been left that choice. I'd like to think, uh, I don't blame it. Listen, incidentally, anyone who goes to Qatar to work, I've got no problem with that. That's a decision you make. And you can, as Gary Neville has said, you can um, hopefully from inside shine a light on some of the things that go on there. But for me, Tim... Let's just, let's just see if Gary Neville does that, by the way. We'll, we'll see. Absolutely. Um, thank you, Ian Hislop. Thank you very much. Um, we'll see. Um, for me, Tim, it's, it's I can't pretend that a tournament that is responsible for my passion for the game. Spurs are responsible for my addiction to it. But the 1970 World Cup, when I was a teenager watching that Brazilian team in the yellow shirts under the sunshine in Mexico, is the reason why the the whole global game, I love it. I'm not looking forward to the World Cup because some of the fun of it, some of the joy of it, some of the adventure of it has been taken out of it for me by where it's being played. I don't care when people say, well, you'll still watch the games. Yes, I will. But I won't watch them with the same with the same joy. No, you're right, and also the <clears throat> also the fact that it's that it's ruining the domestic season is 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 what is what's annoying me. And I haven't, I haven't got my head in it yet. I know James has because because um, he's done a lot of work in preparation for it. But I'm I've barely even been thinking about it. It's going to creep upon everybody. It's going to be bizarre for fans going out there. It's going to be bizarre for fans watching it back home. You know, you're not going to have the whole kind of communal watching England games in a park because it's going to be five degrees and um, I just feel like very very few people involved in football want this want this to be happening at this time in this country um, but it is um, for reasons that we all know mm-hmm. and yeah I'm not particularly forward to it I think it's going to be a really underwhelming tournament you know obviously sometimes you go into these things where nobody's sort of looking forward to it or there's there's doubts over whether it'll be a success and then and then you know I guess Russia was more of a success maybe than people thought it might be I, I, I'm not sure that's the case here because it's going to be it's going to be a very different experience watching the games in terms of atmosphere 
Um, it's because it's not a football country. You're not going to get many fans travelling over there. I just think it's going to be a really um, underwhelming tournament. I'm not particularly looking forward to it. I mean, I'll ask James what you know because he is he's got to work on it. That 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 that's the way we 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 make our living and feed our families. But the sight of Sepp Blatter, that snake oil salesman, <laughs> um, that self interested. I mean that I, I've got a picture. I'll put it up on Twitter of him at a party about eleven years ago in Samoa, spreading the, the gospel of football far and wide. He's wearing a lie, uh, you know, the you know, necklace of flowers around his neck, but he's got another one made up of of, of, of cash. He has no no self awareness whatsoever. And for him to come out now, literally days before the tournament, oh, I didn't want it to be in Qatar. Okay, let's go through this then, Seth. Everything you wanted to happen in world football happened for nearly a quarter of a century when you were assistant and then head of FIFA. So the one thing that you think you, I made a stand against that was Qatar, was it? And yet there you are on the stage dancing around with your little envelope saying Qatar got the World Cup. Give me a break. Um, James, uh, I know you, you're, you're sending, you've got chaps working on it and, and, and lasses working on it. Um, are you personally looking forward to the World Cup? There's no wrong answer, James. Um, I, I am, but not uh, anywhere near as much as I normally would be. Uh, and obviously part of that is kind of the ethical issues surrounding both the way Qatar got the World Cup and the human rights issues behind life for certain people in Qatar, but also conditions for people who have been involved in building the stadium. Absolutely. Uh, and on a more sort of on a less important bent uh, in a footballing sense yeah as Tim said the tournament being in the middle of a season one feels a bit weird two has been I think had quite a negative impact on the club season for quite a lot of clubs Um, and I do think I would feel quite differently about that if it was a country where we didn't have these question marks if it if it was I mean, really, in reality, actually, there aren't really that many of these that exist where the, it couldn't be played in the Northern Hemisphere summer. Um, you know, we saw no, no, Brazil you, you being played in the winter, and it was better for it being played in the in their winter. Well, you don't want you um, don't want the hot countries banned from having a World Cup. Yeah, know, yeah, exactly. Not. But if it would have been, say, I mean, and again, I, I might be showing my ignorance here a little bit in terms of what the uh, what the seasons are like. But if it had been Egypt, and they had to flip it so it was played. Uh, in our winter, you could kind of, you know, uh, 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 people are obviously crazy with football there. They've got a long history of of, of both you know, club and international football or, or, you know, somewhere else in, in North Africa like that. Then fine. Now, you, you would kind of accept, you would definitely accept it, actually. It'd be great. Or, or if they decided that South Africa needed to be played, I don't think it would have been, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but sure, if somewhere sure. like that, or they went to Australia and it was played at a different time of year, fine. Um, or somewhere in Southeast Asia or wherever. But for it to feel quite... It feels kind of quite false. It, it feels all incredibly, you know, sterile, and there's not a lot of football culture there. I don't know. There's not a lot to kind of cling to to make you think this. This is really this is the positive of it happening here. There just there isn't anything really, um, you know. And I'm sure Richard Keys or whoever else uh, uh, working over there in the media may disagree, but I, I don't really see there's much of an upswing for anyone. Yeah, and you know, you get then you get one of the senior people in the country coming out in the last couple of days and saying, "Everybody else, remove the moat from your own eyes. You've all got your own problems, societies." Yeah, the difference is, mate, that I'm allowed to express those problems. I'm allowed to criticise Matt Hancock in the jungle. I'm allowed to criticise <laughs> or Antonio Conte, and all of us. I'm allowed to say my piece, 
And people can then shout in my face and say, you're wrong, you fat git, and all the rest of it. Um, which takes us on then uh, to what I hope will be a much more pleasant experience. One more game to go before the World Cup for Tottenham Hotspur. Um, in some ways, uh, Tim, you've already alluded to it, I think, this game at home to Leeds, for now, of course, it's hugely important. Um, uh, a win will keep Spurs in the top four, which should be really psychologically important, I think, for the five or six weeks everyone's away. Um, they're playing a Leeds team who, by every measure in the last few weeks, will out-energy Spurs. But in theory, at least, Tim, by coming at Spurs the way... I mean, it's Bielsa plus what Marsh is doing there, isn't it? By coming at Spurs, in theory, this should should suit Spurs' rope-a-dope strategies. Uh, I guess so. Um, Your enthusiasm yeah. does oh. you credit, sir. <laughs> <laughs> You can tell I've been covering Spurs a couple of months now, right? Um, yeah, I mean, Try five there decades. Will be, there will be fourth going into the World Cup. Conte brought this up last night saying, kind of, I hope they're top four um, after this match. Well, they're three points ahead of Man United uh, with a 10-goal um, advantage on goal difference. So you, you would... Let's, let's not roll anything it's, out. It's a low, it's, it's a low bar that Conte's going for there. Um I mean, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this on Monday, depending on the result is, but they are going to be third or fourth heading into the break, which, given given, given how, given the struggles they've had with the style of play, with the injuries, with the fatigue, with this awful, awful fir- first half record with my curse, given that Son has only scored in, what, two matches this season? Um, given Kuliseski Kulis- st- hasn't started for 12 games now? Given all that, to be third or fourth going into the World Cup is, is you know, we'll, we'll we'll have to look at that as a positive. It, it doesn't feel like it at the moment because there's there's so many negative things that are happening. But you're you, you're you're right, Danny. That the match sh- should suit them in theory. And what what will be interesting um, is if Kulisevsky and Rosales start because I think that'll make a, a massive difference to what we can expect to see from Spurs if it's the same eleven with Perisic and Kane. Maybe Sessegnon if he's fit and Royale on the other flank. I, I, I wouldn't be too um, hopeful of ending the first half of the season on on, uh, on a positive note. But if it looks like Richarlison and Kulisevsky are going to play some part in the match, so that does give Spurs an advantage. You're right in what you say. Actually, we, at the start of the season, we spoke a lot about the problem, the issue of being in the Champions League. The six, uh, Jesus Christ, the six extra <laughs> high intensity. That's the most Freudian thing ever. The six extra high it intensity. It says a lot about matches. your life as well, actually. It really does. The intensity <laughs> of it, and, and the fact that you know there's not really a let off in the Champions League. So if you look at the performance of the four Champions League teams in the Premier League, obviously Manchester United, uh, sorry Manchester City, has an even worse slip. Manchester City are complete misnomer because. You know, they've got this uh, double strong squad. You only have to look at the team they played in the League Cup last night. It's basically, you know, Grealish and Alvarez and whoever mm. else. An incredibly strong team. Uh, but Liverpool obviously have had, a, a by their standards, a terrible first third of the season. Chelsea have had a couple of decent patches, but are, what, fifth or sixth? They're not They're not uh, doing great. And the loss of Reese James is absolutely critical to them. Yeah, yeah, of course. They've had a couple of injuries yeah. too, of course. Yeah, they're, 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 and, and Liverpool have obviously had uh, their own injuries, of course. Um uh, but Spurs, you know, fine, we'll, we'll talk about performances and there have been a lot of bad ones, but to be fourth, d- despite that handicap, without the squad that Manchester City and even Liverpool have got, and Chelsea, they've all got much bigger squads than Spurs, let's face it. That is pretty good going, really. And I do, and I do think, you know, we that we do need to kind of double down on that. We do need to really emphasise that, that it is 
And they won their Spurs Champions League group as well. New, New, exactly, yeah. Newcastle are third in the league, having played not having played six fewer games. The Spurs have played how many games do we think? Probably 20 now this season? Sorry, you made that sound so like New- Spurs have got six games in hand on Newcastle. They haven't. No, no, no. They've played 21 matches this season. Yeah, so Newcastle will have presumably played... 15. For what, what, four, 15? I mean, that, that is that is the difference. Arsenal would have played this, probably the same number as Spurs, but they've had the benefit of being able to rotate a bit in the league cup, in the uh, Europa League. They have played quite strong teams, but they've rotated a lot. So they've not had to play their first 11 in every game. Uh, same for Manchester United in the Europa League as well. So it has been an incredibly taxing first half of the season. We should, you know, when we're critical of performances and a few of the results, that is obviously a big caveat that we should take in mind for this first chunk of the season. Absolutely. Uh, and I keep saying that that's why I'm not going to get on social media banging on about getting rid of the manager or anything like that because, you know, again, the I talked earlier on about the evidence of your eyes. You have to allow the evidence of, of tables as well to be real. They're, they top their Champions League group and they're fourth playing pretty averagely uh, in the Premier League. Who knows what's going to happen to the far side of the World Cup? Who knows what's going to happen to the transfer window? So I think the important thing, because we're talking about the Leeds game, by hook or by crook, preferably by playing really well, get the Leeds game out of the way, win it if you can, and then regroup. Because that's all that's all you can do. We can do nothing about the past now. It's only what they can do going forward. Yeah, and it, and it would give them, you know, a really good a really good foundation. Twenty nine points, twenty nine points from fifteen matches if they do win on Saturday. Um, one of the things I, w- I would say is that it was notable last night that Conte and, and um, I imagine he'll talk about this in his pre match press conference as well on Friday. But he brought up last night how important uh, the fans are on Saturday, and this is becoming a bit of a theme I think since uh, the boos were heard against Newcastle. Um, he obviously is going to plead for positivity, and I, I do think it'll be. I do think there'll be more patience on them Saturday because everyone's expecting them to go 2 0 down now. It's, everybody's obviously very well, well aware of this I, awful I, first I, half record. To play, I expect to play well and not go 2 0 down to Leeds. They are. <laughs> no, I've no, said no, it. No but, when, no, but when, no, but when they are losing at half time, I'm not sure there'll be as many boos this time because I think everyone's just everyone's just going to accept that. <laughs> They're not going to score in the first half. They will be losing at half time and we're all going to, you know, be enthused about the second half. I, I genuinely think that will improve the atmosphere. Let, let's come back to that on Monday. If I might quote the great Joe Strummer, the future, Tim, is unwritten. We doesn't, we don't have to be prisoners of the past. And I'll end the podcast by a personal message to Antonio. Um, yes, I think you're right. The fans could be a little bit more enthusiastic about the team, um, and it would be helpful if you could be a little bit more enthusiastic about the club. Ends message. Listen, uh, thank you very much, uh, James, and thank you very much, Tim. James, in particular, um, for doing the High Wire Actor, first ever time on a podcast of discussing in depth yeah. a football match which he saw not one second of. Um, Definitely, as, that's never happened. Oh, it's before, gone well. It? No one has it's ever gone done well that. enough never. that we might try it with two people on the podcast not watching the game next time. Listen, thank you all very much for listening as well. And let me remind you, as I always do, that if not already an athletic subscriber, um, you should be. And you can sign up and read all the brilliant Spurs coverage this season, as well as a mountain of other great stuff on the site. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just one pound a month for six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. We're back again on Monday where I sincerely hope, and I hope to the, the fabric of my DNA, that we'll all be in better form having watched a Spurs victory. Bless you. 
The Athletic.